Good morning, good morning. Man, mm. for those of you that were here last week, Jimmy got a little jab in on Rusty and I about ugly crying, <clears throat> and it about happened this morning, so rich words in, the, in, the, in that song we just sang about being redeemed. For those of you that maybe are a guest with us or um, you know, new to True Life, my name is Preston, I'm one of the elders here. Our teaching pastor Jimmy's in Honduras. We are in a sermon series right now titled Be Rich, which is actually a kind of a, a mini-series um, that we'll do s- several in the book of Ephesians. So we're walking through the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to stay, stay there also. And, and we already um, read the text, and uh, here in just a minute we're going to have the opportunity to do that as a congregation. That could go really well, or that could... <laughs> be a complete uh, disaster, but we're going to do it because I think that, at least for me, it helps to stand up and look and read and, and not just be um, a hearer. So before we, before we read through the text together, uh, I just want to recap us where, where we have been leading up to this place in the text, and if you want to go ahead and be turning, we are in Ephesians 1, we'll be in verse 7, but uh, we've had four sermons uh, already, and so the first uh, first sermon that Jimmy preached was uh, on verse one, or I think like the first three words of verse one, um, and and it was talking about the fact that Jesus transforms our lives, and so Paul is writing to the church, and he introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and and that's not what he would have said prior to meeting Jesus. And so Jesus transforms our lives when we meet him. Week two, we looked at the fact that I'm not who I was, so I'm not going to live like I did. And so once again, we, we find our identity, and all throughout this, this book and all throughout the New Testament, we find our identity in Christ. And, and that's, that's sprinkled all throughout here, in Christ and so how we see ourselves impacts then how we live our lives. Week three, we looked at our riches are in Christ. That's where our riches lie. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because we are blessed in Christ, we have every blessing that is in Christ. And some of those aren't realized yet until eternity, but we are blessed in the heavenly, heavenly places. And then last week, Last week we began, this is, if you remember, this is kind of one big, long, run-on sentence starting with verse 3 that we're blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places. From three, verse 3 to 14, Paul just gets on a roll. He just gets fired up about who Jesus is and what he's done for him and for the church. And so last week we looked at the fact that God adopts us, that God chose us, that in, so, in his sovereignty, there's some combination there that we responded, but he was looking for us. He was choosing us, and he adopts us. And so he blesses us by choosing us. And so today, we're going to look at the fact that in Christ, we are redeemed and blessed both now and forever. So we, we looked at last week that we were adopted and chosen by God 
This week we're going to look at the fact that we're redeemed. And so there's a couple themes, or I say a couple, there's a few different themes that are kind of woven into this text. And one of those, as we see verse 3 through 14, is this Trinitarian theme. And, and, and Mandy chuckles when we use that word because it just sounds big. And it basically just means that, that God is three persons in one God and he, he illustrates that in how he talks and how he creates things. And in everything that he does is this three-in-one dimension. So, so we can see that, that what Jimmy preached on last week was God the Father, that God the Father chose us. We're going to look at today God the Son in Christ that we're redeemed. And then next week, Jimmy's going to preach on God the Holy Spirit securing our inheritance we also see that in the same text that there's this past, present, and future theme. So we got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God the Father adopted us outside of time was one of the, was one of the um, points last week. Like he did this and he chose all of this and he orchestrated all of this in the past. And now we're living it out. And we're responding and he's chosen, and that gets weird, but all I'm doing is telling you what the scripture says, right? So in the past, God chose us. So presently, God is working in us. We're in Christ. We're living on, on the earth in, in submission to him, joyfully serving him, walking with him, and then there's this future tense that we'll look at, and we'll, we'll touch on that today. There's, there's future tense of the fact that God's going to make all things right again. All things don't feel right in today's world, right? But there's a future promise that that's going to happen. And then thirdly, so we got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. we got past, present, future. And we also can see uh, there's some theological terms about the fact that we're, we're justified, that God justifies us. He declares us righteous because when he looks at us, he sees the sacrifice of Jesus. And we'll talk about that, but he sees his son. And so we are declared righteous. We're justified. When God chose us and adopted us, we, we were justified. We were declared righteous in his sight. And so now we're walking through this sanctification process where every single day as we are in Christ, he's making us more and more, he's conforming us more and more into the image of his son Jesus. Sanctification, we're justified, we're sanctified. And then going back to the past, present, future, there will come a day when, we're, when we are in Christ, when God makes all things right, when he calls his people to himself, that we will be glorified. We will not be in the presence of sin. We will not be, we will not be in a world that is marred by fallen, fallen man and sin. So we will be glorified, justified, sanctified, glorified. Y'all ready? I'm excited. Okay, stand up. Stand up. Let's read together. I'm going, to make, I'm going to make a request. We've probably got like seven different versions of the Bible. If you are not holding a New King James Version, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, please don't make this more confusing than it is. If you are reading out of anything other than New King James, please read from the screen because there are some different words and then... It just gets muddled. So let's either read on the screen or read, read your New King James. Let's start with verse says, 7. In him 
We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being a predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Amen. Amen. All right. You may be seated. So I'm going to share with you real quickly how strange this is. So I always get a bad rap for preaching long. And my <laughs> So my goal is to be concise because God's given a message through his word. It's a message of redemption. And, and for those that are not redeemed, it's, a, it's an invitation to salvation today. For those that are in Christ, it is a call to trust the finished work of Jesus. But I get a bad rap for preaching long, okay? So we've been in this four weeks, and we've gone six verses. And Jimmy hightails it to Honduras. He's like, hey, I covered the first six in a month. I'm going to give you the next five. Like, how fair is that? So he's probably going to watch on Facebook Live at some point. I just want you to know, Jimmy, I'm basically going to preach verse 7 and 8 and touch on verse 9 through 12. And so I might leave you a mess when you come back, but you did it to yourself, my friend. <laughs> so I joke about that, but in verse 7 and 8, that's where we're going to camp out. There is so much, so much to be mined in verse 7 and 8. And then we are going to look at the fact that we don't just have present blessings or current blessings um, as we're redeemed in Christ, but there's also future blessings. Um, so, verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood. We've sang about redemption. We use the word redeemed. And I also want to be, honest, I want to be realistic that if, if you don't have a church background or if you haven't dug into this much, that may just be another church term that you're like, it sounds good and I know people get excited about it, but I'm not real sure why. I know it has something to do with Jesus. So we're going to look at what does that even mean? What does it mean when Paul tells the church that in him, he's talking about in him, in Christ, that we have redemption? So think about it this way, and, and we've laid some foundation here for the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a, it was a major city. It was like a hub of a lot of, a lot of business, of a lot of trade. It, this was a play, this was not like, this was not a Jefferson City, if we were putting it in today's terms, this was not a Jefferson City, Tennessee. This would have been more like a, a New York City or somewhere that was a, a metropolitan area. This was a place where a lot went on. So there, 
some of what went on was there's this big marketplace called the, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but in the Greek, the Agora. Anybody that's got Greek? Yeah? Agora? Yes. All right. So there was this Agora, and there, you could go there and think about, has anybody ever been to the I-81 flea market? <laughs> Why, why'd you laugh? <laughs> I have too, once. Uh, I live like five minutes from there, and Mandy and I looked at each other like, uh-uh, we can't do this again. Um, anyways, there's a lot of buying, selling, bartering, trading going on. That would be similar on a much larger scale to what's going on at the Agora. Well, when we look, if you looked at the Greek, at, at this term that we now call redemption, there's several different legal terms that could could cause us to translate this redemption. So one of those would be in regard to the agora or the agorazo. And that, that basically just means to buy or sell in the marketplace. It means that, that you have something, I want it, I'm going to buy it. And you're going to sell it to me. But there's another Greek term that this would be more appropriately connected to that says lutro. And so the lutrol does not just mean that, that when I go to the agora that I'm going to buy something. The lutrol means that I'm going to purchase something and then I'm going to release it. What was in captivity, I'm going to purchase and then I'm going to make the choice to set that person free. Because this was... This was culturally relevant in this time because at the Agora, a lot of what took place were, was slave trading. There were, there were up to, to maybe six million different slaves transacted in that time. And so the reason that that's so important to us is that, that this, this redemption that Paul's talking about is not just the fact that, that you've been purchased from one slave, from slavery here to go to another slave owner here. In Christ and the work of Jesus, he purchased you out of slavery. Out of slavery, not, not to what they experienced in, in manual labor or hard work. We're, we're, as human beings, we are in slavery to sin. And we're going to look at that. But we are in slavery to sin. We can't help it. Sin is our master. We, we, serve, we serve the master that is, that is lording himself over us. And every time we sin, the bondage is a reminder that we can't get loose. But Jesus, in Christ, purchased us and releases us and sets us free. We, we see a picture of this and we walk through a sermon series in Ruth uh, last year sometime. You know, we see that, that Ruth and Boaz, Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. And so I bring that up because the whole storyline of the Bible is, is building up to Jesus being our redeemer. The Old Testament shows us that picture because Boaz had the opportunity to buy the property that was in Ruth's family. And he, was, he had the opportunity to step in 
and buy it and set them free because they were going to, otherwise they were going to go into bondage to somebody else. He was their kinsman redeemer. And that's what Jesus is to us. In Christ, he has redeemed us and set us free. I think for today, in today's world, maybe the way we could relate to this, you know, and, and I mentioned six million slaves back in, in New Testament times. Something that, unfortunately, we're extremely naive to, but is a reality, is the current slave market and human trafficking. And so, for those that maybe have, have either turned a blind eye to that or just have never really engaged with that topic, a couple stats for you. that Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. As of 2016, now remember, six million slaves in New Testament times around Ephesus. As of 2016, there's approximately 41 million slaves across the world. Many of them are working in forced labor. Many of them are being sex trafficked. Many of them have been forced into uh, marriages that, that they had no uh, way to get out of. There's more than $150 billion, billion with a B, $150 billion of annual revenue connected to human trafficking. Out of those 40 plus billion slaves, approximately 1% of them are rescued. So, that's sobering. And I, I want, this is not a sermon on, on, on human trafficking, but that's a real issue that the church has got to stand up for. But I say that to at least give us a frame of reference that we still can relate that when Paul tells the church, in him, in Jesus, we have been redeemed, there's a lot of folks in this world that, don't, that, that feel like slavery is a real thing. In their case, they're enslaved to, to, to another human. That breaks my heart. But the hope that lies in Jesus... For those of us that maybe don't experience that, is the same hope that can be extended to these that are, are being trafficked. And the hope is Lutro. Lutro, you have been redeemed, you've been purchased, and we're going to set you free. I mentioned this already, but every one of us is born. And we're enslaved to sin. You don't have to turn with me, but I've got several different... I, I want to support what we're talking about here with several different uh, passages. And so we're just going to kind of rapid fire them. Romans 3.10 talks about the fact that there's none righteous, no, not one. And that's quoting 
actually from Psalms. Romans 6.23 says, okay, so if we're in sin, what does that mean? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So if we're in sin, if we're enslaved to sin, what we have earned for ourselves, that what we are due is death. John 8.34 John 8, says, Whoever commits, most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So if we can agree that we're all born enslaved to sin, and, and maybe we don't all agree on that right now, but if we agree that we're all enslaved to sin, we have to agree that we need a redeemer. We need somebody to buy us out of that and release us and set us free. So it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Through his blood. Those are, those are three of the most powerful words that we can read as Paul writes to the church. Through his blood. The death of Jesus Christ. The blood shed by Jesus Christ. His death was necessary for us to have an opportunity to be freed from sin. There was no other option See, once again, we talked about the Redeemer and, and even looking at Boaz and Ruth. We see this in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system. Hebrews 9, 12 says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal, forever redemption. Hebrews 10, 4 says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. The death of Jesus and his perfect sacrifice was what you needed to give you an opportunity to escape slavery to sin. It's what I needed. We need a redeemer. It's the only sufficient payment for our sin. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of good works. There is nothing that you can do to escape slavery to sin. There's nothing that is feasible for us to escape it apart from the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Once again, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says... Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom... Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. If we allow him to buy us back, that's what redeem means, to buy back. And then we've talked about that this is, this is lutro, to buy back and release, to buy back and set free. If we allow him to set us free, here's what he frees us from. He frees us from sin's guilt. 
He frees us from sin's condemnation. He frees us from the bondage of sin. He frees us from the power of sin. That means you don't have to do what you used to do. And ultimately, he frees us from the penalty of sin. And what did we establish? What is the penalty of sin? What has to happen when sin occurs? Death. There's an illustration that I think highlights this point very well. It says, In a city on the shore of a great lake lived a small boy who, lived the, who loved the water and sailing. So deep was his fascination that he, with the help of his father, spent months making a beautiful model boat, which he began to sail at the water's edge. One day, a sudden gust of wind caught the tiny boat, carried it far out into the lake and out of sight. Distraught, the boy returned home, inconsolable. Day after day, he would walk the shores in search of his treasure, but always in vain. Then one day, as he was walking through town, he saw his beautiful boat in a store window. He approached the proprietor and announced his ownership, only to be told that it was not his, for the owner had paid a local fisherman good money for that boat. If the boy wanted the boat, he would have to pay the price. And so the lad set himself to work doing anything and everything until finally he returned to the store with the money. At last, his precious boat was in his arms. He said with great joy, and this is what Jesus says to us that are redeemed. You are twice mine now because I made you and I bought you. God has created us to be in relationship with him. We had the image of God from the time we were born. We reflected the image of God, but we were marred by sin. And so he created us with great purpose. And then he bought us back through Jesus. So in Christ we are redeemed. There's additional Present blessings that flow out of this. This is the, the crux of the text says that we are redeemed, and that's the best news we can have. But because we are redeemed, there's additional blessings that we experience. We are fully forgiven. In Christ, we are fully forgiven. And so he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. What does that mean? What? Why does he say according to the riches of his grace? Because that's, that's who God is. He has an infinite account of grace. There's no numerical number on how far you can go. There's no, you, his grace is not going to run out. So he's not drawing out of an account that's going to deplete. And he has to look at his balance and he says, Can I forgive this person again? The balance never changes. It's infinite. There's a, you're not going to get out of here without me giving at least one sports reference today. So, so this is my time and I'm going to try, and then I'm done. No more sports. Um, this actually surfaced this week. There was a professional golfer. Anybody like golf? <laughs> wow. That, that's, oh, Lord, save them. Save them. <clears throat> um, there was a professional golfer. His name is Matt Kuchar. Traditionally, always been a very likable guy. Anytime he does something well, like 
if you weren't a golf fan or didn't know who this guy was, you would think they were booing him because every time he makes a putt or does something good, they're like, cooch. And that's how, that's how people root for him. So, but Matt Kuchar played in a, in a professional golf tournament in Mexico. And this, this story surfaced that his original caddy, the caddy is the guy that's going to carry your clubs. He's going to help you pick your clubs. His caddy wasn't able to make it. He had a prior conflict, so, which isn't completely uncommon in that, in that world. And so you would just pick up another caddy. So he goes to this uh, resort in Mexico. He makes this agreement with this guy that caddies at this club, so that's a good advantage. He knows the course. He's been there. He's there every day. Caddies at the club. He makes this agreement. Okay, do you want to be my caddy? Yes. He said, okay, here's the deal. I'll pay you, and I don't remember all the details. Basically, he said, I'll pay you, if I make um, the top 20, I'll pay you $2,000. And if I make the top uh, 10, I'll pay you $4,000. And I mean, really, like, for, for you and I, that would be a good weekend. Um, but in comparison to if he would have won, that wasn't big. So, what happens? Inevitably, Matt Kuchar wins the golf tournament. He banks a little bit over $1.2 million. And he gives his caddy $5,000. And so, in his, in his mind, how he originally defended it was, we already had this agreement. You know, it, he was happy with it then, but it's something, you know, he's not happy with it now. Well, more news came out about it, and apparently he did, he had, he had tried to make it right and say, okay, well, I'll give you $15,000. And the, and the caddy felt somewhat offended by that and said, no, keep your money. I don't want it. Um, the point is, and, and so now, now there's, uh, we, we do live in a media age, right? Right, and so Matt Kuchar, his sponsor's like, do we really want to keep this cat on board? I don't know. This guy's a jerk. You know, like this guy's golf world was getting turned upside down in a matter of a week. And so he decides, I'm going to send this guy $50,000. And I guess that's what, that's what the caddy wanted was $50,000, which, you know, in comparison to $1.2 million, still not very much money. But what was Matt Kuchar doing? Was Matt Kuchar giving according to his riches, or was he giving out of his riches? He was giving out of his, here, I got a big pot, let me, here, that'll work, run along. That's not what Jesus does. That's not who Jesus is. He forgives us according to the riches of his grace, which is infinite. We see this, we, we see this illustrated uh, in the, in the Old Testament, even if we look back at Leviticus, one, the, the, one of the most important days, I guess the most important day in the Jewish holiday is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so what would happen would be the, the high priest, and this is, if you want to go read about this, this would be in Leviticus 16 when Aaron uh, performs this. But the high priest would go and, and he would take two goats, and so he would cast a lot and, and the lot would determine which goat lives, which goat, goat dies. The goat that, that obviously died, he was going to be sacrificed for the sin of people. But as an as a illustration, the other goat, and we get the term scapegoat from this, the other goat, he would lay his hands on this goat, and he would, he, he would symbolically transfer the sins of the people to this goat, and he would send him out into the wilderness, never to return. He won't be able to, they take him out so far that he can't find his way back. 
And that pictures, guys, the depth of forgiveness that Jesus offers us. That he is not, he, when we are in Christ, when he redeems us, when he buys us back and sets us free, he's not remembering those things against us. We're fully forgiven, and we see that all throughout the Old and New Testament. Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Micah 7, 19 says, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You're not going to remember that. You're not going to hold that against us. Matthew Jesus, in talking to his disciples, says, For this is the, my blood of the new covenant, and he's instituting the Lord's Supper here, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It doesn't say to barely forgive us, to forgive us enough to get us to tomorrow, to forgive us enough to get us to the next sermon to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. John MacArthur puts it this way. Through the shedding of his own blood, Jesus Christ actually took the sins of the world upon his own head, as it were, and carried them an infinite distance away. Does that sound familiar? Who did we just talk about? That's, that's what we saw in Leviticus. He carried them an infinite distance away from where they could never return. That's the extent of the forgiveness of our trespasses in Christ. And so before we move on beyond that, I want us to make, make sure, because I think this hits one of two people. This hits the person that says, I don't know if I'm even that bad. I've never even realized that you know, I, I don't, I've not come to the place of realizing that my sin has put me in slavery and that I'm separated from God because of it. Maybe this is news to you. And so what I would say is, let's start by establishing that if you've ever sinned in your life, and we know you have, that you're separated from God apart from Christ. But God, the good news is, He's provided a way. He wants to redeem you. He wants to buy you out of that sin. He wants to pay the price, and he already has, through the cross of Jesus Christ, to set you free and to give you hope and to give you a future, to walk with you, to, to show you how to live. But I think there's a lot of people in this room, because I know a lot of you, there's a lot of people in this room that you would say, Hallelujah, I'm in Christ, I'm redeemed. But every day I get up, it feels like I'm having to work because I don't feel redeemed, because I don't feel forgiven, because I'm holding something against myself that God has already said, it is finished. Because I keep going back 5, 10, 15 years. Because I keep going back to who I used to be and thinking about, there's no way that my Redeemer could forgive that. And you've got to settle it with yourself. I am pleading with you as a church. And I'm talking to the people that are in Christ. I'm pleading with you. You have got to settle it in your heart. And allow the work that Jesus did to redeem you. To buy you back. To allow that to become reality in your life. Don't run back to not forgiving yourself. Because anytime that you fail to forgive yourself for what something 
for, for what Jesus forgave you for, you are selling short the work of Jesus on the cross. Take heart, saint. Take heart that the good work that he's done in declaring you righteous, in justifying you, in buying you back, is not going to end tomorrow. He has covered your sins, past, present, and future. Paul talks about that's not a license to sin, but it gives us a lot of hope that though we may stumble and fall, he won't leave us. He won't forsake us. He is faithful to us, and he has forgiven us fully. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe. You're more loved than you ever dared hope. That's who you are. You are more sinful than you ever can imagine. I'm more sinful than I would ever believe. But you are more loved in Christ than you ever dared hope. So in Christ we're redeemed. In Christ we are fully forgiven. In Christ we receive wisdom and understanding. Verse 8 says, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And prudence can mean insight, understanding, having made known to us the mystery of his will. He has not, for those of us who are in Christ and we're redeemed, he's not paid that price and said, scurry along, my friend. Go back into the dark world of sin. Go fight the good fight. I'll see you in heaven. And I, and I feel like maybe that's how a lot of people operate. You know, I got saved when I was seven. I can't wait to meet Jesus when I die. But Jesus never leaves you right here. He is with you. He has given us all wisdom and understanding. That means he's given us himself in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And so he will now keep us. He will instruct us. He will guide us. He's going to give us the ability to make good decisions. We can define wisdom as this. Wisdom's the knowledge which sees to the heart of things. Which knows them as they really are. That's what God gives us in Christ. He gives us the ability to see through the surface. To the heart of matters. And understanding we can define as this, it leads us to right action. So we're wise enough to see this is what I should do. This is how I should act. This is how I should follow Jesus. And then we have the insight to say, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that decision. Ultimately, we can sum this up in calling it spiritual discernment. We have the ability in Christ when he redeems us to now discern what's right from wrong. We're not on our own. He's not leaving us alone. He equips us to understand and obey Him. And just like the forgiveness, this is according to the riches of His grace. What's that mean? It means it's not going to run out. It means He's not going to get to, we're not going to get to 45 and He's like, Man, you're just not as fun to be around as I thought you were. I think I'm just going to, I'll see you in heaven. He is with us. He is for us in Christ. And so we've looked at the current blessings, the present blessings. And verse 9 through 12 talks about 
some things that are to come, the future blessings that we experience in the redemption of Jesus. I'll read that again just so we have, a, have an idea of that. So verse 9 says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. In Christ, the redeemed and creation and the universe and everything in between one day is going to be restored to perfect unity. That's the hope as Christians that we have. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name above, name which is above every name. This is what's going to happen when he makes all things right. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And let every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have a time coming that we can hang on to that God's going to make it right. Romans 8 goes on to talk about not just people, but creation. It says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. When Jesus returns and God restores all things to himself, we will experience harmony and unity that we will never taste prior to that. We get glimpses, we get little little inklings, but we live in a world that's fallen and full of sin. But in Christ, the redeemed in creation will be restored in perfect unity. And then ultimately, in Christ, we have an eternal inheritance. 1 Peter 1 talks about our inheritance. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, for you, saint, for you, redeemed, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have an inheritance. But what's this hinge on? This hinges on whether we're in Christ or not. So I've told Mandy, I've told some other, the more that I looked at this text, the more that I studied this text, the more I couldn't get away from the fact that, that I just want to plead with you that if you are not in Christ, it is no accident that you are hearing the news that can set you free. 
It is not an accident. Jimmy mentioned last week, well, how do you know? Can, how do you know maybe, maybe God didn't choose me? If you're hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, he is choosing you. He's given you the opportunity to respond. To respond and say, you know what? I am separated from God. I am, I am apart from you because my sin. And I am going to trust in the finished work of Jesus. I'm going to trust in the only thing that could set me free. Not what I do. Nothing else. Not how I compare myself to the other guy that's not nearly as bad as me. But only in Jesus Christ. That's the invitation that he's giving to everybody. And ultimately, this eternal inheritance that we have is promised by God. Titus 1-2 talks about the fact that God can't lie. It's not in his nature. He's not going to do it. So when, when, when God says something, it's done. It's going to happen. Philippians 1-6. Once again, Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says, Being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you We'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to quit on you. He's given us a hope and a future. He's blessed us now. He's blessed us for eternity. But are you redeemed? Have you reached out and said, I need you, Jesus. Pay the price. Set me free. There's a story of a, and, and I'm going to close with this. There's a story of a college in California. It was a Christian college. And so there were these three college graduates, much, many more than that, through this graduating class. But these three specifically that were not only graduating, but they were getting sent off to the mission field. And so as they walked across the stage, they got held up. And they received their diploma, but they held them up. And they wanted, they thought, okay, well, we're just being, they're going to commission us to go serve the Lord. But what they wanted to communicate to these three graduates was that not only are you graduating, not only are you going to serve Jesus, but there's been an anonymous donor that for your $125,000 student loans and for your $100,000 student loans and for your $80,000 student loans, an anonymous donor has paid them and you no longer have debt. Go serve Jesus. And I say that because right now, I'm confident that to many that are hearing me or to at least some that Jesus is still the anonymous donor. He paid the price for you, but you don't know him. You just know that the price has been paid. And so I want you to know today, he wants to know you. He wants to set you free. And he wants a relationship with you. And so as Molly comes, we are going to have a time of invitation or Shane. Um, here's, here's my question, guys. Will you trust Jesus to redeem you from slavery to sin? Do you admit that because of your sin, and we say this when we baptize people, you admit that because of your sin you need a Savior? Will you trust Jesus to pay that price, that He has paid that price? Will you receive it?
once again, redeemed, will you trust Jesus for the complete forgiveness that he's provided? Will you not run back and hang on to how you feel about yourself? And would you understand that when God the Father as he chose you and adopted you. When he sees you, he doesn't even see you. He sees the beauty of his spotless son. He sees the death that take, took place. He sees perfection. And it's not because of you. It's because of Jesus. Will you receive that? Will you walk in that believer? Will you be encouraged by that? This entire passage, I told you Paul gets super excited. And I think it's a message for the church because we can sit here and we can talk about all the good words and we can dissect the Greek and we can, we can just awe at, at the writing and the splendor. But there's a commentary I read by a guy named Kent Hughes. And one of the most profound statements I've read leading up to this point is that our theology must become doxology. At some point in time, we can't just study about God. We've got to worship Him. That's what He wants. Our theology has to turn into the doxology that we see in the life of Paul. That we see that he can't contain himself. That's who Jesus is. If you'll stand with me.